It actually feels very like psalmic to me. Mm. Is psalmic even a word? Like, uh, psalm, like it, yeah, it, it sounds it good. It feels very much <laughs> like the psalms to me. Yeah, you know? right. Um, my friends and welcome back to green room door the show that loves to go behind the scenes to talk one-on-one with artists so you get to know more about the heart behind the music i'm dave trout with utr media and this is the season premiere of our sixth season of green room door um we're happy to be back after a little bit of time off at least from this podcast we've been continuing to work hard uh, on, on other things and if you've been tracking along been very busy with the bellsburg project this whole summer and fall um it's been such a blast to be a part of all of that um and if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Um, we're glad you're here. We love just hanging out with artists, sometimes in literal green rooms and sometimes not, but um, we love to share these conversations. And if you look back through the archives um, on our previous five seasons, um, we have interviews with kind of a who's who list of the world of independent faith-inspired music. So uh, we've talked, had interviews with Charlie Peacock, Andrew Peterson, Cindy Morgan, Gloria Gaynor, Justin McRoberts, Sarah Groves, the Arcadian Wild, Fernando Ortega, and literally dozens more. So uh, if if you just want to play some catch-up, feel free to go back and listen to any of the interviews in the archives. Um, But we have an exciting season ahead of us, and today is our kickoff day, um, and we have a a dual interview show for you, uh, which we're really excited about. Um, In the second half of the show, we're going to be talking with um, indie uh, rock, pop rock artist Seabird. Uh, in a flashback interview that we did 11 years ago. So we're going to dust that off, revisit it, and maybe uh, a a little update on what Seabird is doing these days. Um, And then uh, in the first half of the show, uh, we are excited to introduce you to maybe a new-to-you artist. Um, Aaron Williams has been doing uh, worship leading for many years. In fact, in recent years, has been working with Shane and Shane, on the worship initiative if you many of you have heard of that project and um and he just launched out through through uh, shane and shane's new label uh launched his solo debut full-length album called the hope of christ it just came out in august and we got to sit down and talk with him about um putting his music out there and he also is the co-founder of a nonprofit called dwell in colorado so we're going to talk about all those things in the conversation but before we dive into that here's a little bit of his new music that just released in august so you have a, a feel for what he sounds like
let's just kind of dig in at the beginning here and I would love to hear your inherited faith journey yeah. and kind of intro into the music world yeah um i grew up i grew up in what i would consider a nominally christian music or christian family music was like a part of my uh i mean part of my dad's side of the family for sure like my granddad played lots of music had three sons taught my dad how to play the guitar taught my his brother, his middle brother had to play bass and his younger brother had to play drums. And so there was like a family band situation going on musically. And so I kind of grew up, you know, learning how to play the guitar, being around music. But um, our family, my dad was a high, a high school football coach. So our family um, went to church when it was not football season, essentially. And then, uh, you know, around the new year when football season would end, we would you know, get back in church, that type of thing. And um, we got a new youth pastor who was really engaged and awesome. And he found out I played guitar, invited me um, to start. I mean, I, didn't, I wouldn't have called it like leading worship or anything at that point. I'm just like playing in the youth band or whatever. Yeah. And um, I, if being honest, I wasn't real interested in church. Definitely wasn't uh, following Jesus. And... Um, but started learning these songs, you know, he would give me like a CD and, you know, from, and they were usually his favorite artists. He'd give me a CD, he'd give me a few chord charts and he'd say, learn these by next week, you know? Mm. So I, I learned, started learning songs that way. And really through music and like, like youth group in that age, um, the way I would say it now is I encountered Jesus. Um, and then, and it really was like encounter first and then, like me understanding the Christian faith the, the longer yeah. I went, you know, I was, yeah. I was paying attention to the songs and I was paying attention to like youth, youth group teachings enough to like, um, you know, know the basics, but, um, I wasn't, I didn't have any sort of like relationship happening. And one Sunday night, small back, the back, like back pew of my small Baptist church, I, I just felt like Jesus met me there and I was simultaneously kind of coming to the end of um, just my rebellion, mm -hmm. honestly, like walking, living with guilt and uh, constant guilt and like getting caught in lies and lots of things like that. Like I was just kind of coming to the end of that, even at a pretty young age and encountered Jesus in that moment felt like, you know, essentially what that was, was me feeling like he was the answer to uh, my need. And, mm. um, so, uh, felt like that was just a, a turning point in my life. And then I started like actually having desires to be in my youth group, go to church, like things like that. And so just so interesting how God used music, um, from then on out to mm. like, uh, you know, started, we formed a little youth band and started like playing, Hmm. As many third day and Cademan's call songs as we could possibly <laughs> learn, and, <laughs> seriously, and uh, formed our own band, started leading worship, and there's something about those years that were really fantastic. And being a part of a small church, like my faith grew quickly. Um, I didn't clean my life up as quick as like what I was learning, but like it all eventually came, and that's how I got my start into writing songs. First songs I ever wrote were just like personal worship songs, you know. Hmm. Um, 
I didn't really even know songwriting was like a thing. I yeah. Mean, it was just like happening, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, we we uh, found out about you, obviously, from, from Brian at Turning Point. But I think, I mean, from a bigger standpoint, we're all kind of learning about your music because of your involvement with Shane and Shane yeah. and the Worship yeah. Initiative. Can you tell me a little bit about how you even got plugged into that? Totally. Yeah. So I, I was on staff at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas for about 12 years, stepped away from um, that position I was in to launch a nonprofit called Dwell. When we were, um, when I stepped away to lead Dwell, part of what we were doing was creating discipleship resources, which was music and like written curriculum stuff. I, I had a particular interest in writing worship songs that were geared more towards the spiritual formation side mm-hmm. of the faith. And I wrote a song called Abide that um, seemed to resonate um, a little more broadly than some of the others I had written. And Shane's found it, and we just started some conversations. They, we, we you know, sent them more music, and they were essentially in this place where they were wanting to grow like what we're doing now. Like it was a, a dream at that point. And so they were saying, hey, we want to build a artist community that writes from here and we want it to be like the songs to be coming out of the word and out of community and uh, we need someone to like help get that going we think you know you might be the right fit and so yeah so I went down hung out with them led worship with them at their church watermark there in Dallas and one thing led to another and we moved a year ago this week wow so yeah so Davey Flowers is John Mark Cole Myself, the Shanes, and uh, Beth, Shane Bernard's wife, is uh, are on the artist team. So, mm. yeah, it's been unbelievable. That's cool. Um, okay, well, how does it feel to have your uh, debut album out and released? Yeah, it's awesome. feels surreal. <laughs> um, it kind of happened fast, you know, like I, like I mentioned, I just moved a year ago. And so, you know, I knew sometime in the first year and a half I was going to release an album. And um, we got to spring and we were like, you know, looking at all the schedules and it was like, okay, it's go time, you know, it's time to get this going. So uh, super surreal. It's kind of, it's uh, really meaningful for me because I think, um, I I don't know, I had always had a passion, uh, a, a particular passion for songwriting, writing, you know, songs for corporate worship and for the church and just never knew, you know, if I would get to do that kind of as like a vocation. Mm-hmm. I was leading worship in the church. That was my primary vocation. And it was like writing was on the side. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just feel like there's a, a faithful, like a faithfulness where like I just kept doing it, you know, mm-hmm. not knowing how it would ever play out. And mm-hmm. so to be in a place where like now I've got a collection of songs that are released to the world and, um, you know, I'm excited to see what everyone thinks of them. It feels like, you know, you're almost like you're giving birth to a kid in a sense of like these songs are a part of who I am. And, yeah. and um, I had a total blast, like the recording process. Up to this point, it's been amazing. Till on that day when Jesus comes, when every life will be
So um, with the album, The Hope of Christ, uh, do you have sort of a, a mission or a vision behind just what you want to communicate? Yeah, th- this album, um, if you sat down and, and listened to it all the way through, which you should, it's what I encourage yes. listeners to do, <laughs> but you probably won't. <laughs> but if you did, um, I think you would. what you would find is um, I really push to try to write honest, like to not shy away from the pain points of life, from the, uh, you know, the struggle and the in-between of like, uh, grief and pain and faith and hope. And so uh, in a lot of these songs, you kind of feel this back and forth of like tension and honesty in the verses. And then it like giving way to like the, the title track, The Hope of Christ is about um, the, the like the co-writers and, and I were talking. One of them had lost his mom in the, in the last year. I had been through some particular family difficulties and it was like, we're just trying to get all that out. So it actually feels very like psalmic to me. Mm. Is psalmic even a word? Like, uh, psalm, like it, yeah, it, it sounds it good. It feels very much <laughs> like the psalms to me. You yeah, know? right. Um, <laughs> where uh, there's kind of that um, light and dark push and pull. I love it. Uh, you you mentioned about the song Abide. Can yeah. You, can you just tell me a little bit about that song in particular? Yeah, that's my favorite song, at least up to this point, um, that I've written. And um, I started writing the transition I just mentioned to you when I stepped away from church staff. You know, I've been there for over a decade. For me, it was a huge shift, you know. And I walked out of my uh, executive team meeting where I had essentially just told them that I was uh, transitioning for sure. And I walked into my office and I sang the first lyric, which is uh, the first half of verse 1. Uh, which is uh, for my daily bread, um, for my every breath, I depend on you. It's what it was at that time. And um, I had just been sitting in John 15 trying to like get my mind around what it meant to live in a remaining, like that's another way that that word's translated, a, a lifestyle that remained in Christ. And um so that song ended up kind of flowing out of that time. It was one of those songs that happened rather quick. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just for me. Kind of the, maybe my favorite part of that song is I just put it in my back pocket, so to speak, for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Didn't play it. I thought it was just like a personal devotional song. And um, my friend Aaron Keys, who was the co-writer who helped me finish it, we were at a songwriters event, like 80 worship songwriters. And he said, hey, I want you to play Abide tonight. And the first time I played it, the room just like kind of lit up mm. uh, naturally. Mm. And um, a lot of people commented on it after the after that night, and I thought, well, that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and about a month later, another similar thing happened, and um, people started telling me I should record it. And that's when I thought, maybe this isn't just for me. Maybe this is for yeah. more people. So. Um, I don't know. The next time that happens, I'm gonna, and I think it's just for me. I'm gonna pay attention because maybe there's something that I'm deeply resonating with that, for whatever reason, you know, I don't think other people will. But then that that tends to be the spark.
When I pass through death as I enter rest, I depend on you. I depend on you. Come on. For So with your involvement um, with Dwell, um, I mean, you you're, you obviously have um, created resources and things like that for, for worship pastors. So I, I'm just kind of, I don't know, maybe this is whimsical, maybe it's, maybe it's just real life, but what is something that you've encountered that's often like a misguided notion or just a, a presupposition about worship pastors <laughs> that at the end of the day, you know, maybe it, maybe it, there's a different side of the story. That's a good question. Um, it's kind of like, you know, there's a little bit of truth in, in every joke. I think <laughs> yeah. there's a little bit of truth in most of the stereotypes. You yeah. Know, we right. just take them too far. Um, I think, I think when it comes to worship pastors and especially being around a lot of, just a lot of artists in general, you know, oftentimes there can be this kind of, you know, blanket statements about, oh, uh, you, you know, you guys are just too gushy, you know, too feely, too in your emotions. And again, I do think there can be threads of truth <laughs> about that. And and so at times, you know, if you think about like a worship pastor, pastor relationship, like it could go back the other way and it's like, oh, well, you're too in your head, you know, mm-hmm. you're, right. you're so analytical, it's all right. information. <laughs> and um, I'm around a lot of worship leaders who are really thoughtful and mm-hmm. um, smart, you know, and they care about doctrine and are kind of nerdy in like the level that they are reading, you know, wi- widely read, you know. Um, and they are emotional or, you know, they're, they're doing art, you know, so, yeah. you know, and, you know, to be fair, like the other side, I'm, I'm around pastors all the time who they are smart, but like, they're not out of touch with their emotions and stuff like that. So I think that's one of the stereotypes where like, you know, I'm sure there's truth to it, but I do think there's a lot of, uh, worship leaders, songwriters that are, are, you know, not they're more than just their emotions and, yeah. and that type of thing. <laughs> I love it. 
All right, that was fun uh, just getting to know Aaron Williams a bit more. And you can check out his new project, The Hope of Christ, on Spotify, Apple Music, all different music platforms. And I'm sure he'd love for you to, to stream and stream and stream some of his songs. And I'm sure maybe if you are plugged into your church, you may find some music that uh, would work for your church as well. So something to check out. Um, well, we're so glad you're with us. And I have a couple quick announcements before we hit our halftime. Um, and then uh, we have another interview coming up on the horizon. Um, uh, the first announcement is that uh, at the, we're releasing this in late October. And a couple things are happening in early November that we'd love for you to be aware of. Um, we mentioned the Bellsburg Project earlier in the show. And the actual Bellsburg album releases nationwide, worldwide, really, on all music platforms on November 4th. So coming up very soon, it's a full-fledged release, and it will be available on all platforms. Full album, really exciting, and uh, and so we're we're just eager to see um, that this music connects with as many people as possible. And then uh, uh, a tangent to that, um, uh, in August we had a brief pop-up sale um, that was kind of after the Kickstarter campaign where we sold, uh, kind of pr- did pre-orders for the Bellsberg album, the other albums that we uh, released, as well as the t-shirts and things like that. And um, that store is actually going to reopen up um, in just a few days, probably either October 31st or November 1st, if we get our ducks in a row. And um, you can actually order uh, the, the physical product of the music, um, the vinyls. Uh, yeah, yeah, Bellsberg and Deep Valley will both be available on vinyl, which is very cool. Although it's been ordered, just it's gonna it's gonna be a, a little wait for that, probably. Uh, not until late spring or early summer uh, for the vinyls to come into stock. Just there's delays across the board for every artist with vinyl. But um, we have CDs available um, and we're going to allow um, you to purchase uh, kind of a pre-order purchase for Deep Valley and Work Tapes, even though those uh, projects won't be released to the public until next year. Um, We have... Uh, some pre-orders of t-shirts uh, we sold out of most of our t-shirts but we are reordering them so we'll have a new s- stock of t-shirts available real soon so you could pre-order those right now and and some other goodies um at the bellsburg store that that store is going to be opening up at richmullins25.com and we'll link to that in the show notes so we're excited about that and then one more announcement um if you are in the chicago area our buddy Eric Peters uh, is going to be doing a bunch of concerts with us in the Chicago area um, next week, November 2nd through the 6th. And we have information about all the different dates where he is playing at our website, utrmedia.org. So I encourage you to check that out. And if you're in the area or within driving distance, we hope to see you in person at one of those events. Okay, now we're going to take a quick break 
And when we come back, we're going to be going into the time warp back 11 years to 2011 to talk to the band Seabird and revisit some of their old music that we loved years ago and then uh, maybe a little update on what's happening these days. So that's coming up next on Green Room Door. This UTR podcast is sponsored by the latest music from singer-songwriter Allie Murphy. Though life can be hard, I love who you are. Forever and now, oh, wonderful you. Wonderful You is the latest single of Allie Murphy. And don't miss her previous single, The Tree Song. Yes, the tree that gets cut down creates a beautiful space for something. Find the latest singles by Allie Murphy now on Spotify or at the link in today's show notes. And look for her new EP, Better Things, releasing September 2nd. Do you need some spiritual encouragement throughout the week? UTR Media has launched the all-new Song RX, a daily dose of inspiration. UTR's Dave Trout and some indie artist friends will be hand-selecting a song of the day and sharing concise spiritual reflections sent to your email inbox every weekday morning. Receive Song RX by joining UTR's email list now at utrmedia.org. Have you tuned into UTR's latest Heart, Soul and Mind playlist? Here's what you'll hear. There's a lot of ways to say the word. There's a garden, there's a garden I know. Came out from her shining wall, thoughts never failed me yet. I traded all the way to have you here with me. It's a wonderful world. You can lay your head down. Check out a whole bunch of hand-curated songs on UTR's Heart, Soul, and Mind playlist. Available now at Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon Prime Music. Hey, welcome back. This is the season premiere of Green Room Door, season six. Glad you're with us. I'm Dave Trout, and um, it's fun to sometimes go into the archives to pull out and dust off a, an old interview uh, because um, we've been an independent nonprofit for the last eight years, but we have a history that goes back 14 years, and we've done lots of interviews in those years. Um, and uh, some of them, um, for those longtime listeners who tracked with our uh, our old radio program called Under the Radar, which is what the UTR stands for, um, y- yes, uh, you may have heard a few of these clips, but for most of you, maybe even all of you, this is kind of a new-to-you situation. You just missed these. And this, it, some of these are fun to, to revisit. And, and one I've been looking forward to is dusting off this interview we did in Nashville in 2011, uh, believe it or not, in the Gaylord Opryland Hotel. And uh, we had a, a suite there for a, for a conference. And 
we um, put on an event where Seabird performed. And so the band Seabird is, uh, is somebody that was really forging the, the kind of crossover club playing spirit-filled music that this was this predates colony house it predates the new respects it predates judah and the lion seabird was there doing this in um in the 2000s and um really forging a path Uh, their music was heard on network tv shows like pushing daisies gray's anatomy numbers ghost whisperer um, and, uh, and they were on EMI, uh, the label EMI for, um, for a few albums and then kind of unexpectedly were dropped by the label. I don't know. I still don't know why that happened. Um, it seems like a, a travesty because, um, they had a really great talent and some great songwriters on their hands, but, uh, for whatever reason, um, they were dropped and, uh, and that, that, led them into kind of a new territory of being an independent band. Um, but, but they were, they were kind of a big deal for a little while. In fact, I was, I was just reviewing my history, uh, doing some Google searches and, and came across a tour that they were doing in 2009, uh, to promote their rocks into rivers album. And, and the opener on the tour was the civil wars, <laughs> Grammy award-winning, uh, folk duo. So, uh, yeah, so they, they definitely were kind of a big deal at the, at that time. And, uh, it was fun to get to talk to them. Um, of course their, uh, their Christmas music is so fun to dust off. They have one Christmas EP called, um, over the Hills, I believe is the name of it. And, uh, and it still, uh, gets tons of traction every year. Um, they're, they said their Spotify numbers go up like tenfold <laughs> during the Christmas season. And it is still to this day, one of my all time favorite Christmas EPs. Um, but we talked to them about their music and at the end of the interview, I'm going to share with you my favorite seabird song of all time. The one that I think stands out among the rest. And there's a little wink there. Um, but We'll play, we'll play that in its entirety for you, and we'll also uh, kind of give you an update about what's happening with the band right now. All right, let's dive into this classic 11-year-old interview with the band Seabird. just get started as a band um i had been writing songs for a while just kind of for myself not really you know intending to play them for anybody and um, our original drummer i guess had been hearing those songs um he was uh, kind of connected to the family that that would allow me to use their grand piano for a long time so he kind of was in the house and heard some of these songs and convinced me to record them um in his bedroom so we could join this battle of the bands competition in cincinnati which to any bands out there or the guys or girls thinking of starting a band, I, 
I think still that that's probably the worst way to start a band ever. Um, but convinced me to join this, but this battle of the bands competition, which wound up going for like four months or something crazy like that. Like you had to play the same three songs like every weekend for like three and a half months before they determined like who the winner was. Um, so anyhow, that was how we got started, and really just kind of like playing coffee shops and stuff locally, kind of building confidence. And uh, Ryan was living in Chattanooga at the time, running a guitar store, a music shop down there, and uh, wound up moving home to northern Kentucky about a year and a half after that, I guess. And um, that's when we started playing more shows and um, signed with EMI, um, I guess, shortly after that. November in, 2006. Yeah, 2006. So it really wasn't a ton of time, you know, between when we started playing locally and, the, and you know, when we actually signed with, with the record label and started recording our first record. So, yeah. 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 So, um, uh, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of people of faith love your music, but your music really goes far beyond just like the church walls. So it's yeah. like sort of like <coughs> kind of an intentional focus for you guys. Yeah, it's certainly been a big um, drive uh, for, for us. You know, we're all men of faith, if you will, you know, raised in the church. Our dad's a pastor. Um, and have roots in worship music, you know, playing at our churches, and, and I was at YWAM uh, in Nashville here. Um, so anyhow, certainly something that, that's been a big drive for us, you know, like growing up listening to a lot of bands like the Beatles and um, Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and stuff like that, like bands that are connecting with people on a very emotional uh, level and, and, you know, an immediacy to, to their, their impact and um, was always inspired by that. So for us, when we sit down to write a song, we, we kind of think like how do we capture the listener's attention within the first you know 15 20 seconds yeah. you know and that yeah. usually has to be music you yeah. know whether it's a melody or a hook or yeah. some sort of rhythm or something yeah. uh, and if you don't catch their attention within the first 20 30 seconds really what you're speaking or, or singing lyrically is not going to connect because you've yeah. lost them you know yeah. um, so we certainly want to want to leave people with a <clears throat> With a message of hope, you know, never want to leave them in a place of darkness or despair, you know, yeah. um, and and really are just telling true life stories about ourselves and about our families and and things that we have been through or seen friends or family go through, and um, hoping to connect with other people who have been through the same things on that level. Yeah, so great. it is really inspiring, you know, for sure to to see a song used um, on Grey's Anatomy or Pushing yeah. Daisies or Numbers or something, knowing, um, you know, that it's non-Christian media. Sure. Uh, using a song that that is leaving people with with a message of hope. It's awesome. Yeah, it's good. It is good. Um, so tell me about uh, the CD "Rocks into Rivers" and sort of the um, you know if you had sort of a theme you were working with at that time, or sort of like uh, the messages you were kind of wanting to get out there. Yeah, well, we had been, felt like we grew up a, a little bit between first record and second record, and um, we had to actually fire our producer <laughs> in the middle of the first record. So it was kind of like this huge struggle making our first record, you know, having to find another producer to kind of save the project. So I felt like we had a lot of, um, you know, confidence to rebuild in the studio when making this record, but um, we got to work with a guy here in Nashville named Paul Moak. Um, who did just that. He knew that we were kind of like broken little kids, you know, from the first experience and wanted to really regain that confidence and that trust, you know, of a producer. Um, so I do feel like the sonic uh, direction and overall uh, quality of this record is, is much better than the first one, you know? Yeah. Um, and, that, and that was a ton of fun for us to be able to spend more time on instrumentation and, and getting the right tones and all of that stuff. Uh, as far as the content goes, you know, I feel like it, it, it's a little bit more revealing even than the first record. I mean, there were some, certainly some really revealing songs on the first record as well, but just kind of diving deeper into that, you know, so people know, like, 
um, we're kind of like an open door, you know. If you want to know who we are, the songs kind of spelled that out pretty clearly, you know. Uh, we didn't really try to make any sort of a concept record or anything like that. Just wanted to try to make better songs and songs that uh, impacted, you know, a larger audience because it's it's basically speaking, you know, truth about our own lives that, that other people have, you know, connected with. Yeah. So Ryan, I want to ask you to pick uh, out of out of your whole catalog. Because um, because we like to kind of pick some of the more thoughtful uh, some of the songs that kind of get passed over at first glance. So sure. Um, what is a song that you, you wish people could take a closer listen to and really kind of absorb a little bit more from Seabird? Yeah yeah. Um, probably Rocks into Rivers. You know, it comes from the the Bible story where uh, God instructed Moses just to touch the rock with his staff and he would provide water but he out of his anger and disobedience basically like struck it you know and <laughs> I mean we, we can all completely relate to that yeah, you know yeah. um, you know and, and me especially you know I can completely relate to just just obeying God you know I mean not not just like a general disobedience but like that that type of thing you know what I mean maybe like hearing what God's saying to you and maybe it's not exactly what you want to hear and, and kind of changing it on your own so I think that one like gets gets passed over a little bit it's it's kind of a long song it's it's pretty pretty dark and pretty epic but I think the the message is is not um, uh, you know it's not really uh, sugar-coated you know what I mean so I think it's pretty uh, moving to me so I always enjoy playing that song well, we don't get to play it very often because a lot of requests for it so. <laughs> I don't know, you, you probably want to comment on this because you're a Christmas man, but I just flipped out loved your Christmas EP. Oh, thanks, man. Um, um, just 
just describe sort of the making of that album. Yeah, yeah. Well, we did um, a couple of Christmas, couple of those songs uh, a year or two ago. Um, just uh, wanted to do a couple of them. We felt like they turned out really cool um, and had like some uh, a couple of NPR stations were were using them and were on some nice. uh, some of their Christmas programs. And then the other one that we did a couple of years ago was on Grey's Anatomy. So. Uh, we, you know, we were glad, obviously, that people were connecting with them and thought that they were unique, you know, because yeah, there's obviously yeah. just a ton of it out there and yeah. a lot of good stuff and a lot of really not good stuff, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, so we were asked to do some more, uh, which we were really excited about. So we got together with a friend of ours, Joshua Silverberg, and he produced the other six songs for us in July. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were like, man, it must be hard making Christmas music in July. But <laughs> it really wasn't uh, because, I mean, that you know, I think the thing about Christmas music that makes you think about the season is, is the music and the tunes that you're familiar with. So when you look at the lyrics outside of the holiday, I mean, as a Christian, like, wow, these are really, really powerful yeah. lyrics, you know? Like, some of them are just, they're all great. Some are obviously better than others. Just So we were, I, I've always loved them, you know? I've done other Christmas records before with other friends and churches and stuff. Um, so we got together, uh, we actually got the, record uh, the EP close to our hometown in Northern Kentucky, uh, which mostly we usually record in uh, Nashville or LA. So it was nice to be home for that. Um, but we got together we, and we try to take a different approach to it, you know, not, not reinvent the wheel, but we're like, it's yeah. Christmas music. You know, we want to be true to Seabird. We want this to sound like Seabird, but because it's Christmas music, it gives us a chance to kind of uh, broaden our horizon a little bit, yeah. you know? So we, we didn't we didn't feel like we had to go in there with a forum and we weren't <coughs> trying to hit like a big radio crowd. We were just trying to make stuff that we, we loved and were excited about. So yeah. it was, uh, Goats Out on the Mountain was probably the most fun I've ever had recording any song. We had our sister come down and play Hammer Dulcimer. And I kept telling the producer, I was like, we're not gonna have drums on this song. And he's like, mm, we probably are. I was like, no, we're not going to, you know? So. Uh, by the end, he was drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, and we just did like uh, foot stomps and claps. Um, we brought a bunch of our friends down, like our wives and a couple of girls that helped with our kids when we're gone, and everyone just sang on it. My, our sister came down and played Hammer Dulcimer on it, and that was another thing the producer was like iffy about. He's like, I don't know, Hammer Dulcimer? Like Coldplay kind of did that. It's kind of trendy. I was like, you know, our sister's been playing Hammer Dulcimer for like 15 years, so it's not trendy. She yeah. came down and played it. He's like, totally brought the whole song together. So it was a ton of fun, man. That's cool. That's yeah. really good. I, I know I wrote a blog uh, sometime around Christmas time. I said, uh, the last minute and a half of Hark the Herald Angels Sing was like my favorite Christmas music experience of 2010. It just, <laughs> I mean, the, oh, yeah. that is so much fun. It's killer. It Thanks, man. Yeah, we, we had a blast with it. You know, I think it, <laughs> I think it came through. You yeah, know what I mean? There was yeah. definitely a freedom in it that we had. Yeah. You know, we wanted to do a good job, and, you know, we didn't just do, like, crazy stuff. But yeah. there was a freedom in it that we were able just to enjoy ourselves. So we, we want to kind of start doing that more on yeah. our records from here on out, you know? I mean, maybe not that exactly, but yeah. we definitely learn from that experience, you know, people are connecting with things that we just enjoy. We always do that on our records, but we, we did take a little farther with that one, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. That's good. So last question, just kind of a light, lighter one, just what, what do you guys love to do away from the stage, away from music? Yeah. Well, we're both married, and we both have children, so 
when I go home, I just hang out with my kids. You know, I mean, I teach a lot of guitar lessons. Um, I do them on Skype. I have a I have a guitar student in China right wow. now. Yeah, isn't that crazy? But I love it, man. You know, yeah. it's really fun hanging out with the kids. You know, I don't hardly go any shows or go out to movies and stuff when I go home. I just go home and spend time with the kids. Nice. But also love the Cincinnati Bengals and the and the Reds, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Cubs fan, so I can really... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good... The, 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 the Reds and the Cubs have a good, healthy rivalry, I feel like. Yeah. It's nice. It is. It is. It is. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun going back to 2011 with that rewind interview with the band Seabird. Uh, they were such a big deal, especially as we were kind of getting going with... UTR, our early years, um, just one of those really special, talented bands that, that uh, could have been, you know, I think just as big as any of the other big crossover bands like Judah and the Lion, Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors, Colony House, The New Respects. I mean, they would be in that category right now, just, um, you know, playing in arenas and in big clubs and stuff. But uh, alas, it wasn't meant to be, um, and, and part of it was just, I think, happenstance. Uh, I think they got dropped by their label at kind of a weird time and tried to... Um, they did a Kickstarter for an album that came out in 2013 called Troubled Days, um, but uh, that was the last Seabird album to be released, so they haven't released anything since 2013, almost a decade. Um, and so what is happening with the band right now? Well, Aaron Morgan, who is the the kind of founder, lead singer of the band, um, he's actually still um, in the music business, still writing music. He actually has done some commission work for various um, TV and film projects over the last few years and um, just found out recently that he's gotten um, involved with his local church and they're writing a lot of new um, worship uh, songs for their community and um, so some really cool things that are happening and I think Aaron's going to be releasing some music under his own name so um, you can just uh, when you're on Spotify or other music sources you can check out Aaron Morgan but uh, definitely still worth checking out those classic Seabird albums I love 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 their Christmas album I'm going to be playing that again real soon but I want to right now play for you in its entirety my favorite Seabird song of all time. And it comes from that 2013 album, Troubled Days. It's called Stand Out. And here is Seabird on Green Room Door. When I'm weary from traveling both hands to the plow, my devils are trying to turn me. Just an old 
Yes, love it. Stand out by Seabird. It's from the album Troubled Days, and um, it's cool to see that there's still a Seabird fan base out there. Um, they're, uh, most of their music, well, really, all, the, all their music was released 2013 or earlier, and so they predate the streaming era of music. This is before Apple Music, before Spotify. Um, and, uh, and, but just looking at Spotify alone, um, they have several songs that have over a million streams, um, which usually doesn't happen as often for folks that haven't released music in the last almost a decade. So it's very cool to see that, uh, there's still a fan base there. And I think that, uh, their Christmas songs are just continue to rise every year. People are discovering how good their Christmas EP is. So uh, check out um, Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you listen to music. Search Seabird. Go down memory lane. Um, It's good stuff. And uh, hope you enjoyed this rewind um, interview on Green Room Door. I'm Dave Trout. This is the season premiere of season six of the show. So happy um, to to be back and, and to have you with us. Uh, as before we leave, um, just want to say a, a quick thank you to our um, support team who we couldn't be here without. And of course, thank you to our partnership with Judson University, who um, we just love being in, in, in partnership with. And, um, and we're kind of helping to open up new doors for each other. And uh, in fact, we have a couple of UTR artists playing at the Judson University Chapel services next week. One of those being Eric Peters. And we're doing a week-long tour in the Chicago area with Eric next week. Um, we're going to be uh, playing at Judson as well as some different um, things in Illinois and Northwest Indiana. So if you are in that area, please um, check out our tour list on our website, utrmedia.org. Uh, we will um, post a direct link to the tour info um, and, and would love to have you show up at any one of those dates. Uh, he's playing... I think every day, uh, November 2nd through the, through the 6th in the Chicago area. So um, hope to see you out there if you're in that neck of the woods. Um, otherwise, uh, one thing to keep on the radar I mentioned earlier is um, our Bellsburg store is going to be opening again at richmullins25.com. That's uh, happening here um, in the next week or, or less. And then um, next week on Friday, on November 4th, it's the national and worldwide release date of Bellsburg, the Songs of Rich Mullins, the 18-track tribute album recorded in Rich Mullins' old house. Um, we've been a part of that since its inception, and it has been a blast. Um, it's the first album that I, my name is listed on the back cover, and I geek out about it every time I see it. I know. It's just like seeing your name in print. It's such a special thing. I'm the supervising producer of the album, and it is an honor to be a part of this whole journey. Um, but we uh, are really kind of getting geared up and excited for the release date on November 4th. And um, if you're somebody that is, um, you know, has gotten the albums uh, through a Kickstarter or other means, um, make sure to, to spread the word. Let other folks know about it. And, uh, and we're going to see if, 
you know, there's a chance that if we get enough folks to download the album, we might have a, might have a, a top 10 album on our hands uh, on the iTunes charts. That would be really cool. We'll see what happens. Um, but uh, so that's something uh, on the horizon. And then uh, coming up here on Green Room Door, we have um, some more interviews lined up. Uh, in the next month or month and a half and then we also have some other great podcasts uh, that are going to be releasing and we're looking forward to our thanksgiving playlist our christmas playlist so it's a fun time of year to be dialed into gourmet music Um, and we encourage you to just track along at utrmedia.org with all that we're doing well uh until next time i'm dave trout Green Room Door is a production of UTR Media, an independent, listener-supported nonprofit ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and online at utrmedia.org.